welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor and publisher of APJ. My guest today is Simon Hewitt, head of direct investment for MaxCap Group. Welcome, Simon, to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks for having me. Simon, tell us a bit about yourself and your uh, role at MaxCap. Yeah, so my role at MaxCap um, is heading up the direct investment team. Uh, and the direct investment team is a, a new, a relatively new addition to um, the MaxCap group, uh, which focuses on uh, equity participation in the market uh, and primarily that's been through participating in you know, joint venture partnerships in real estate developments around the country and mm-hmm. is a, has been a natural sort of stretch for the group um, coming from you know, the long history we have on the in the debt markets and being Australia's number one um, non-bank lender uh, the you know the opportunity for us to naturally sort of stretch across providing you know, solutions uh, for our clients and across the whole capital stack was something that um, was seen as, a, as an opportunity for the group back in 2018, uh, 2019. We formally established the, the direct investment business back in 2019 when I um, when I joined the group uh, back then. Mm. And, you know, looking at the direct investment business, you said it's a relatively new business uh, for MaxCab. Can you give us a bit of a background on it? Yeah, so I think that the the genesis of the business and the strategy that sits behind it was was very much around listening to our core customers. And, you know, at MaxCap, we've got two core customers, primarily being our investor customers uh, and our partner, you know, developer, borrower um, customers. Um, and, you know, what, we, what the group was seeing through, you know, 2017, 2018, uh, was that as that client base was continuing to grow and um, get more sophisticated and, and present further opportunities, that there were opportunities that were presenting to um, that MaxCap weren't able to fill, which was essentially providing you know, equity capital um, mm-hmm. because we didn't have the, um, the, the functionality uh, or the capability to do so. Uh, mm. And on the other side of the coin, we had our investors who were saying that you know, what they were looking for was some high-yielding um, product, and, and that was where we saw an opportunity to deliver that through you know, participating in, in equity as well. So the confluence of those factors really drove this strategic move um, to into equity, and mm. that ultimately was very clearly set up as a separate, completely separate business unit within MaxCap to the debt side of the business, primarily because it's a very different skill set uh, that we bring to the table on the equity side and, and the way that we manage our investments and the way that we assess our, our investment opportunities is quite different to the lens that, um, say, our, our debt team would, would take in their assessment of opportunities coming from more of that sort of finance background. Whereas for us, we um, primarily look at it through the lens of the developer um, and understanding what those key you know, risk-adjusted returns are going to look like. Mm. That's quite interesting. You mentioned um, you know, the, the heightened demand from investors 
Um, and we're now looking at, you know, the, as you said, you're looking at from lens of developer. So what is the expertise in, required when you're looking at JV Capital Partners? Yeah, I think that for us, what we've been able to bring to the market is a really highly sophisticated approach to the joint venture capital space. And, you know, there's been a lot of, of capital over, over recent years um, in, in the market, uh, but some a lot less sophisticated than, than the offering we bring to the table. And really that's around the, the team that we've built and the resources that we have and, and the experience and the capability um, in that space, really understanding the journey that we go on uh, through the whole sort of asset life cycle, uh, primarily in, in the development space and understanding, you know, that development doesn't go from, from A to B, development takes all different paths and avenues that we need to be able to understand, navigate, um, trust our partners, you know, trust their capability um, and be able to you know, remain remain a steady hand of support for our partners through through that journey. And I think that bringing that into the market um, at a time when a lot of um, offshore capital was being sucked out of the market, um, mm -hmm. and also that you know our our partners really value uh, having a a local group like us who have you know a team that is built around this capability. Um, able to sit at the table with them, you know, as they sort of navigate this journey. Mm. So obviously you would say that relationships is uh, a critical to this, to the success of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for, mm. for us, you know, relationships are what underpins our whole business, um, whether it's on the debt side of our business or the equity side, you know, MaxCap over 15 years has, has built its brand um, in the market primarily based on the relationships that we've been able to build um, and the way that we're able to continue to nurture and curate those relationships and understand the changing needs of our investor, our investor clients, um, our, our partners and our borrower clients um, and how we sort of um, position ourselves long-term to really deliver and, and provide solutions for, for that client base moving forward. Yeah, and actually, I was thinking too. In terms of partnerships and JVs, you're talking about what models, um, and uh, you know, when you're participating with groups, what models do you do? Or do you look at? Um, I think that primarily the the model that that has really worked for us is a model where you know we're still um, take a relatively passive position um, mm -hmm. in the the partnership and really are there to provide that support. Um, for the, the developers, they work through you know the journey, but the amount of value that we can add along the way um, is quite significant because of our exposure across the market. So we can uh, we can identify trends in different sectors and different geographies. Um, yeah. But the fact is, for us, because of the way we've structured our business, we're able to participate across all different sectors and all different geographies. Um, with partners that are experts in, in their chosen field. Um, so I think that's what sort of makes, has allowed our business to scale quite quickly, is, mm. uh, is underpinned by, you know, those relationships, but also the expertise and the sophistication of the partners that we work with, which allows us to build a really well diversified portfolio uh, across different sectors uh, and geographies, different structures. Um, which you know, has you know, breeds a lot of resilience for us. Yeah, and that's the thing you mentioned the the diversification. I think particularly now is more important than ever 
um, because mark, the market's so volatile. Um, in terms of the max cap portfolio, what can you share about you know the composition of that and what it means uh, and how important diversification has meant for the uh, the performance of the assets? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's a really good point that you picked up on. I think diversification in in any portfolio is important, but certainly in, mm. in what we do and, and the volatility. You know, given that you know we are working in a space where we do have volatile returns. Um, and you know in the equity space where we don't have you know fixed style returns like you do in the debt space, so you know that diversification mm. is very important. Certainly, a key lesson we learned through the pandemic was very much that having a well diversified portfolio allowed our portfolio to perform in a very resilient manner. So different mm. asset classes and different geographies were performing differently through the pandemic and were impacted differently. Some very positively. Um, and some had some challenges along the way. And I think that that's certainly what we realised that we built a really well-rounded portfolio and, you know, that is across um, across residential, office, industrial, uh, hotels and retail. And, you know, essentially we're, we're almost 20% across each of those different sectors. We break, we break residential down between um, the more sort of boutique owner-occupier stock and then the larger sort of high, high rise investor grade stocks. So we sort of break that down. And when we look across those five core asset classes for us, we're really um, tracking at around 20% exposure to, to each of those, which I think is a really healthy position for us to be in as we've come out of the pandemic and as we're moving into you know, some headwinds um, and, and challenges at the moment, which we think will, breed, will also breed opportunity for us. So. To answer your question, Nelson, in our portfolio at the moment <laughs> on, on the equity side is um, has grown quite quickly. So we're, we're managing around 30 joint ventures around the country, um, around 500 million of, um, of funds under management. And the performance of that portfolio is really strong. So we're um, currently tracking at around 22% gross buyer um, return and mm -hmm. around two times um, on our money on invested capital. So um, yeah, it's a really well-performing portfolio and, and our focus moving forward is on is on continuing to protect that portfolio as well. Yeah, it, obviously you, you mentioned you've got exposure of 20% for each of those core markets. Uh, I wanted to just, you know, talk about the residential because it interests me a lot. Um, and also it's interesting to a lot of our readers and listeners. Um, you know, we saw that the pandemic, pandemic uh, led to and now we've seen a housing supply shortage across you know the key markets um what do you see or what are your developer partners telling you about what's happening in that space i think that the you know through the pandemic what we've seen is that you know well positioned well located high quality owner occupier style residential stock has continued to perform very well um, mm. And that's a space that we have invested quite heavily in um, and has proven to be, you know, very successful for us over the last few years, which we're, which we're excited about and we're excited to continue to, to invest in that space. Um, you know, obviously, we, the, uh, there's been challenges in, in investor markets, um, but I certainly think that what we're likely to see and where we see the market going at the moment around the, the crunch on rental properties, um, yes. you know, rents are going up, vacancy rates are you know, sitting around 1%. Um, 
um, or lower in some you know, core locations as well. You know, I certainly think that there is an opportunity in that market when we look at the significant undersupply of housing um, as we look ahead to sort of 2025 and beyond that there haven't been a lot of new projects activated. There hasn't been a lot of new, there isn't a lot of new supply coming into the market. So I think there's definitely a dislocation that's coming in that market and, you know, the proliferation of built to rent and the impact that is going to have on the market and the impact that's going to have on the built to sell market. Um, the investors coming back into the market that have you know, been out of the market for, for a couple of years now because of the pandemic, um, you know, with migration turning back on as well. I think that there's, um, there's some very interesting times coming and we certainly think there's opportunity in the residential space, particularly in those core markets of Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Yeah, and that's the thing. I this morning we um as we you know before we recorded this podcast, I received um data, the latest data set, and it showed that vacancy rates are now under one percent uh, for some uh, localities. So, in that sense, what's the I, I suppose do we have to balance, or what's the balance between build to rent and build to sell there uh, to deliver this stock uh, for the uh, rental market? Well, I think the um, mm. the advent of built rent into the Australian market is a natural maturation for the market here. When we compare ourselves to what's happening overseas and yeah. um, how prominent you know, built rent and multifamily is uh, in some of the major you know, overseas markets, so I think it's really exciting uh, for the market to see you know, a lot of capital um, coming for for what is. Um, there's already built rent in the market, but I think that we're going to see it really accelerate as a, as a classic class. But I yeah. don't think it spells the end of build to sell. I don't think it spells the end of you know, investor style product. Um, I think that ultimately the offering is is quite different and will appeal to a different um, customer base as well. So yes. you know we're certainly um, we're certainly quite sanguine about about you know, what the impact is going to be. And I think that it's you know, it's going to be exciting to see how the built rent market evolves over the next five years or so. Mm. And I just want to touch upon uh, the retail sector too. We've seen there, you know, the in terms of just within retail, how the different sectors are split and how they're performing. Um, in your in your current portfolio, the max cap portfolio, which retail sectors uh, are performing or within that uh, subsector in, in retail? Yeah, look, I think there's no secret that um, the the performance of non-discretionary retail uh, through the pandemic has been very strong. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen you know, appetite and capital values um, in that space increase you know, quite significantly. Our, you know, for us, we've we've very much been focused on that non-discretionary space. You know, we've got. Um, a, a really exciting development in, in Brisbane, which is a, a transit-oriented development uh, yeah. that has a 12,000-square-metre retail precinct as a part of it that's 100% that's leased um, and is due for completion, you know, in early 2024. Um, you know, that was... That was very exciting for us to go you know, through the pandemic to, to realise... Um, 
that we're able to to get that product to 100 percent leased, you know, well ahead of time um, because mm-hmm. there was significant demand. Um, so that's exciting. And then and then on um, within that space as well, we're also doing a large format retail development at the moment in Chernside Park in Victoria um, with a really strong partner of ours. And that's also 100% leased prior to completion. Um, and we expect that to trade you know, very well into the market where we're about to place that asset uh, into the market very shortly. Um, and we expect it to, to trade very well because you know, there's a significant amount of appetite for that style of product. It's got a significant land holding and it's, and it's a C1 zoned site as well so yeah there's Mm. uh, we're seeing a lot of evidence in the market there is huge demand for for large format retail again is focused on non-discretionary retail um, offerings as well as um this sort of more neighborhood style um transit orientated uh focused retail offering Mm. uh simon i wanted to look at the performance of the max cap funds uh specifically the MaxCap Industrial Opportunity and the MaxCap Diversified Opportunity Funds. Can you talk us through the product creation and execution of that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we launched the direct investment team in, in 2019, um, we immediately identified with one of our key partners, Time and Place, uh, a, a dislocation in the industrial markets. Obviously, the industrial markets were, have been running hot for quite some time. But we certainly saw the value in um, uh, the land in land arbitrage around buying large pieces of land, being able to chop them up and sell down smaller parcels of land. It was a, it was a relatively straightforward um, mm. strategy, but it was a very niche strategy with a with a moment in time to execute on. And we wrapped a fund around that strategy. We got great support from our investors, and yeah, you know, that fund is now into you know, approaching its fourth year. Uh, and is is performing very well, and we look forward to wrapping that fund up hopefully in 2023 and delivering a great, you know, some great returns for investors. Whereas yeah. our um, diversified opportunity fund is quite a different product that we launched in March this year. Again, oversubscribed by our investors, um, so received you know really strong support, and that is more about giving investors um, exposure to a pool of joint venture, you know, the highest quality joint venture projects that we participate in. So we've handpicked some of the best projects and allocated them into this fund. Um, and yes. investors can then invest in the fund and, you know, uh, gain exposure to a really well-diversified pool of um, investments that sit within there. Um, and that's a five-year closed-ended fund. Um, and we're currently raising a, session, a second tranche of capital uh, for that fund as we speak as well. Mm. And I, I now want to turn to the um, Apollo Global Asset Management and its involvement um, with MaxCap. Can you share some background on what's happening there? Yeah, so I think that with Apollo coming in and acquiring a, a stake in, in MaxCap, um, in the MaxCap Group in 2021, it was such an exciting time for, for the business and I think especially for, for our founders, you know, Wayne, Lasky and Brad Sikolsky, um, mm-hmm. to have built the, the platform that we have, built the brand and reputation that we have in the market to be recognised and validated by a group like Apollo was really exciting for everyone involved. Um, it certainly was hugely exciting for all of us um, here at, at Manscaped. And I think the global expertise 
the network that Apollo have, have already started bringing to the table and the conversations that we're having around growth. And, and, and it's much about growth about how do we play offense and defense in the current market. And I think that that's something mm. that's really important for us um, and understanding how we continue to protect our investments that we have, um, understanding what they're seeing on a global basis uh, and what value they, you know, the significant value they can have in that regard. But also the ability to to look at accelerating some of our growth strategies in the market as well um, through mm. the um, through having a significant sort of big brother like Apollo who have five hundred billion in funds under management um, around the world. Mm. And you look at, and you talk about the the growth of uh, MaxCap. You're expanding the direct investment business into New Zealand. Um, what opportunities have you identified there? Yeah, the so the Maxcap Group has um, moved into moved into New Zealand a couple of years ago. We have mm. uh, an exciting joint venture over there, known as Maxcap New Zealand, which is a joint venture with yeah, New Zealand's leading real estate agency Bailey's um, mm. and a leading investment manager Foresight Bar um, in New Zealand, and we're really looking to um, take advantage of that um, that joint venture that we've created over there. Uh, mm. We're in the We've been working with a significant um, partner in New Zealand to create an investment strategy that we are hoping to deliver into the market over the next few months uh, and really grow our direct investments, the the direct investment team's exposure into that New Zealand market because we see opportunity in that market and we see that that market peaked late last year um, and what we're seeing is that there is going to be, there is going to be great opportunity in that market um, as we move forward, but it's only going to be with the best quality partners um, and the best quality stakeholders that we, um, that we can work with in that market. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Mm. Now, coming back home again to Oz, um, I wanted to just gaze into the future if you, if you um, can look into that. Uh, we're moving down the risk curve. Um, what ex- opportunities are available or, or are there for our existing assets? Yeah, I think that for us, you know, we've built our, our brand to date from a direct investment perspective. We've built our brand in that sort of joint venture development space. And ultimately that mm. means you're playing at the top of the risk curve. Um, and so, you know, for us, we've always had our long-term strategies being around um, moving down that risk curve uh, and continuing to sort of find good risk-adjusted returns um, as we continue to move down that risk curve. So I think that what we've seen now is through the pandemic, the acceleration of the of the flight to quality trend. Um, and I think that is really what is driving a lot of our focus at the moment is that flight to quality and the demand from consumers around you know better quality offerings around whether it's where they sleep, where they eat, where they work, where they live, um, all of those elements that you know, consumers are demanding better quality. And I think that that's where we, where we, where we believe we'll see opportunity. And that's really what we're gearing around at the moment um, is looking at that existing asset space, looking at historically 
when we when we assess the, the values between prime and secondary assets and where they've sat historically as opposed to where they've sat over the last couple of years in a low interest rate environment where really there hasn't been any differentiation in value between prime and secondary assets, whereas we think that spread is really going to open up um, and we want to be able, we want to position ourselves to take advantage of that um, and look at those secondary assets and look at how we then take those secondary assets and create high quality assets that are going to be on appeal in the market. Mm. It's quite interesting. Uh, we ran a story uh, just today um, on uh, the flight to quality with a report from JLL that showed that in Sydney, uh, for secondary assets, the net absorption for office space has actually been negative, whereas uh, net absorption has been positive for premium grade assets. So there's obviously that demand now for te from tenants, sorry, uh, for space that is, you know, uh, sustainable, uh, green, and I suppose uh, offer better amenities as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the ESG space and what is driving, you know, the, the capital um, that is coming you know, into that space is obviously significant. Um, so mm. we're certainly looking to work with some of our, our major capital partners as they continue to, to build their focus on, on the ESG space. And, and really that plays back into that, that concept around the flight to quality. Um, so mm. I think that when we talk about the intersection of capital and opportunity, that's really one of the key areas of focus for us is in that, in that ESG, value add, um, sustainability, green space. One of the really important things with ESG is making sure that yes, the E, the environmental side is very important and very measurable, but also ensuring that we're focusing on, on the S and on the social side um, making sure that you know the legacy that we leave uh, in the communities that we invest in, you know, is is one that's very positive as well. Mm. I just want to leave something with our audience before you know we conclude this. Um, what's your view on interest rates? Uh, obviously, the as we record this podcast, the RBA is due to meet. Um, what will the impact be on interest rates and and the property markets in from just from your point of view? It's a, it's a very interesting yeah, It's a very broad one. one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can, very can, broad. We're going to unpack that one for a while. Um, yeah. Look, it's it's certainly it's something that hasn't come out of the blue from our perspective. Um, certainly something we expected and, and have factored in for a while um, to our modelling and our forward yield curve uh, projections. You know, there would be um, this growth in, in rates. It's certainly, you know, come back and thicker and faster than... Yeah, than what, sooner than um, we all expected. Yeah, than a lot of us expected. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, for us, what it does on the direct investment side of Mexico is it really highlights the opportunity for us to uh, focus on the downside protection um, that we have within our investment structures, within our joint ventures, mm -hmm. and that's very much around our diversified opportunity fund. Essentially, what we've got within that product is a hybrid investment structure. So... What that means is that we are protecting the downside for our investors, and as we, you know, with exposure to you know, rising construction costs and rising interest costs and whatnot, that we're actually structuring our investments in a way that um, allows us to ensure we are, you know, providing that protection for for investors and for their capital. And so I think that that's one of the certainly for us one of the key areas that we identified, you know, probably 12 months ago where we said we need to make sure 
that we have that downside protection in place because we do think that there is potentially some volatility that's going to come into the market. So that's an example of you know how we can manage that and how we can position um, our portfolio moving forward to best um, take into account what's coming into the market. Mm. No, certainly interesting times ahead. We don't know. Uh, I mean, there's so, so many predictions of where interest rates are going, whether it's going to be 3% or 2%, depending on which economist you talk to. So, yeah, um, I think that's right. And, you know, yeah. I, I think that for us, we, we obviously have, um, because of our exposure across all the, across the market, both on the debt and the equity side, um, you know, we have a really, we have our finger on the pulse of exactly you know, what is happening. Mm. Um, how our markets are moving, how sentiment is changing. Um, and so, you know, I think that we're well well placed to take advantage of opportunities that are going to arise out of, the, out of this sort of rising Australian environment. Mm. Well, that was very interesting. Thank you very much for that, Simon. Thank you for joining us for the Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Simon.